Well, we've come to the uh, last Sunday in our sermon series on forgiveness. We've been looking at forgiveness for the past four Sundays, and uh, we have come a long way. And I want to give a, a quick end to the series in a, in a way that I hope is meaningful and very, very practical. Uh, we started out talk, taking a look at our relationship with God and how we can make sure that, that we are forgiven because God provides forgiveness. Uh, so we talked about this this vertical relationship for the first few weeks. We talked about how sometimes in life we offend God by our sin and our rebellion, but Jesus came so that he could take away that. And so if we have faith in Jesus, we can have uh, forgiveness and we can enter back into a relationship with God. And then we also looked at uh, our horizontal relationships. We looked at how last week, how sometimes when people do things to us, we need to extend forgiveness for when people hurt us or harm us. And so today we're going to take a look at, and I think it's appropriate we end this sermon series, Uh, At times in which we offend others or when we hurt or harm other people, sometimes it becomes necessary for us to ask for forgiveness. And so I wanted to give us a a good illustration of this because in life this happens. Uh, One time in high school, uh, as I told you earlier, I wrecked my truck one time. I was backing out of my friend's driveway and ran into a guy. And uh, there was still life going on in my life. And so while my truck was getting fixed, I, one day I asked my sister, I said, Melissa, can I borrow your car? I've got this really, really awesome date tonight, not just with myself, but it was with my buddy and some of our friends, and we were going to go to the movies. So there's going to be four of us going to the movies. And so we got in her car. She's like, yeah, take care of my brand new car. Don't do anything to it. Don't scratch it. Just take care of it and put extra gas in it when you're done and have a good time. And so we went out, got in the car, drove off to the movies, watched the movie, and then we started to head back to my friend's house. And on the way back to my friend's house, there's this part of town that is that's just awesome. It's like this adventure park area for cars or for vehicles. And so going back, there's a way you can go back where you can go up this really, really steep hill. And halfway up this really, really steep hill, it levels out for some railroad tracks and then goes steep again. So it goes like this, levels out, and then goes up like that. And in my truck, I could always like gun it up the hill, hit Make like a, a, a jump and then keep on going because I had, you know, higher clearance and all this other stuff. So there are four people in the car. I'm like, hey, let's go up this hill and let's see what we can do. Let's see how much air we can get. Because I thought, you know, no big deal. So I get going at the bottom of the hill. I rev the engine up, put it into drive, and we go, we're flying up this hill. We hit the jump and we're in the air for what seemed like 40 minutes. We're like, yeah. Like slow motion, you know, like. And then all of a sudden, the front of the car hit the hill, bottomed out, and we bounce like this, and I'm scared, I'm freaking out, and all my friends in the back are like, that was awesome, and I'm like, no, I just wrecked my sister's car. So I thought like the whole front end was totally gone and all of this, and so I get out of the car, and I run around the front, I'm like, oh, it doesn't look so bad. Not so, maybe we didn't do that much damage. So I turn the car back on, and we start driving, and all of a sudden, the car stalls. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? This isn't right. So I start it back up again, and I put it in drive, and we're driving. So for five miles, we do this, car dies, I start back up again, drive a little bit, car dies. And so we finally get back to my best friend's house, and his dad comes on, and I'm like, I'm like you got to look at this car, something's not right with it. And he goes underneath the car, and he looks with his flashlight, and there's a hole this big in the oil pan. I had driven the car for about five miles with no oil in it. And in essence, I ended up burning up the engine. So what was not that big of a deal, I turned into this horrendous, horrific, thousands of dollar mistake. And I wrecked my sister's car. 
And I knew that I was like, how am I going to, as soon as I knew it happened, I'm like, how am I going to go back to my sister? How am I going to ask for forgiveness? How am I going to explain this to her? There's no way I can explain this. But the reality is sometimes in life, we, we mess up. Times in life as we're, we're living this life to the Lord, we inevitably hurt other people. We offend other people. And there are times that we hurt them so badly that it, it can really wreck and ruin their own lives. And so there are times in our lives where we must come to the place where we ask for forgiveness. We must seek it out, where we must be the actor, where we must go and seek reconciliation to those whom we have hurt, those whom we've offended. And today I want us to ask the question, look at what Jesus has to say, and come to the question and come to the answer of how do we do that? How do we, when we've hurt or we've harmed or we've offended other people, how do we seek reconciliation? How do we ask for forgiveness? So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and turn with you to me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you've got a Bible that we've provided, it is on page 690. Matthew chapter 5. So this, this um, passage that we're going to look at today comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has spent some time in the beginning of his ministry beginning to lay out the thing called the kingdom of God. He begins to lay out and says, basically, everything that you, the, the hearers of this, this sermon, everything that you've built your life upon is not right. He begins then to dismantle the life in which the religious people of Jesus' day had begun to build up. So he breaks it down, and then he shows them how to rebuild it on the foundation of Christ. So that's what we're, we're kind of picking up in midstream of this sermon. So before we do, I just want to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you for just your word. Father, we thank you that you are a God that clearly explains to us and shows us what your desires are for us. And Father, that you care for us so deeply uh, that you came in the flesh to live the life we couldn't and die the death we deserved. So help us now in these next few moments as we look at your word, allow your spirit to be active in this room. Allow it, your spirit, to bring about conviction, to bring about encouragement, to, to accomplish whatever work it needs to do in these next few moments. Uh, so do that with and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in asking for forgiveness, as Jesus is going to begin to, to lay this out in Matthew chapter 5, I want to begin looking just at verse 21 and verse 22. So Jesus is speaking, and he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus here, he begins by helping the, his hearers and helps us today say, to, if you want to continue in this life and you want to be in right relationship with God and with others, the thing you need to do is spend time to identify your offense. Identify our offense. Now you see, throughout the, the creation of the world, we see that we have, man has continually sought to downplay his sin. Man has continually tried to cover it up, say that it's not so bad. I mean, even if we go back to the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, we see Adam responds by blaming God for making Eve. He says this. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me this fruit and I ate. So instead of taking responsibility for his own actions, he says, God, it's your fault that I ate the fruit because you made Eve. Now man's continually 
been doing this throughout centuries. We, we want to deflect from us the guilt and the responsibility of our own actions. And we want to place it on someone else so that we can be free from the guilt. But we see as Jesus comes on the beginning of his ministry, we see these religious leaders had come and they had continued to downplay sin. They continued to try to seek justification for their own righteousness before God through what they did. They had taken the law of God. Now we know the law of God, the the law that God gives us, is how we as humans are supposed to properly relate to God and how we're properly to relate to other people. So we see the Ten Commandments give us how you are to respond to God in the first few, and then the last few tell us how we are to respond with others. And he says, this is the law, this is good, this is how you are to live in relationship. But we see that religious leaders, over time, what they had done is they reinterpreted and retaught these laws to say to be in right standing with God and with other people, you are able to do it by strictly adhering to your outside life. The outside, the things that you do, if you can control the things that you do, then you can be right with God. And we see here that they begin by taking the look at the, the rule or the law on murder. It's as if you don't murder. So these religious leaders had come to the place of saying, if you come to a place in your life where you never deliberately, premeditatedly take the life of another person, then you're good with God. If you can live your whole life and you don't kill your neighbor, like don't go into your neighbor's house and shoot them. Don't go into your neighbor's house and kill them. Don't do that. If you can stop yourself from going that far, then you're good. It doesn't matter what's happening on the inside. It doesn't matter that you have anger or hatred or resentment or lust or desire or anything else. It doesn't matter what's inside. Just as long as you don't kill them. Like just don't kill them. And then you're good. That's what they had taught. And that's what the people of God had begun to believe. But they understood, though, if you did go down this road, if you took the life of someone premeditatively or deliberately, then you were guilty. They understood that there was a responsibility, that there was, there was sin and there was consequences. They understood that, but they wanted to downplay their own sin so that they could avoid the consequences. There's always consequences for sin. And then we see what happens is that Jesus comes in and he totally flips the script. For that, I want us to see, even in our own lives, we are not much different than the Pharisees or these religious leaders. We live lives where we continually want to downplay our sin. We have some defense mechanisms uh, of sin. When we realize that we've messed up, we realize we've hurt someone, we have these uh, responses so that we can somehow hope to, to relieve ourselves from the guilt. So when we become aware that we've hurt someone or we've sinned against someone, we look for excuses. I know that. As soon as I wrecked my sister's car, I immediately was going through this inventory of lies or inventory of excuses of things that I could say. And sometimes our our excuses fall on the lines of of, of three main lines. One, we may try to deflect. We deflect it. So we try to blame others. So in my instance, what I might try to do is when I realize I messed my sister's car, I might go to my sister and say, you know what? If you wouldn't have loaned me the car, this would never have happened, right? Right? Totally wrong. But we totally try to, to deflect. We don't want the guilt. We don't want the shame on us. So we deflect it on someone else. It was someone else's fault. Or maybe we come to a time where we realize we've messed up. We try to deflate our sin. We try to look at the situation. We say, well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. 
I, I couldn't have done something that was bad. I mean, it's not that bad. I know there's bad, and like there's, there's really bad. This isn't that bad. This is, this is not good, but it's not that bad. And so we go through and we try to deflate our sin. Or we even come to the point where we just flat out deny it. Could you imagine me trying to use that one on my sister? I didn't do it. I wasn't in the car. I don't know how it happened. I came to my friend's house and it was just like that. How crazy would that be? But we try to do that. We try to absolutely deny. Or we try to deny the, the uh, effects of our sin. We try to say, well, that couldn't possibly hurt you that bad. Like it couldn't hurt that bad. My lying to you couldn't have hurt that bad. But see, when we do that, we fall in the line of these religious leaders because we try to focus in on our actions and not our heart. Because I want us to believe, and Jesus is going to say this in just a minute, when we hurt others, it's because our heart has been distorted. It's our heart that needs changing, not our actions. Our actions are just the outflow of our wicked heart. And so he says, Jesus says, don't worry about, don't focus on so much of the outward. That shows that your heart is wicked. When you do evil things, when you hurt other people, when you offend them, it's because your heart is messed up. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus rightly then says, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But then he uses this. He says, but I say to you. So what Jesus is doing here, he's making a statement that's saying is that he has authority. So Jesus is taking the authority away from these religious leaders. He says, you've heard it said, and they've told you what this means, but I am Jesus. I'm the one that was there when this law was given. This law comes from me, and so I have the authority to properly tell you what is at the heart and the intent of this law. And so that's what he proceeds to do. He says, it's all messed up. What you've heard is not right, but this is the heart and the intent of the law. He says, don't just check your outward actions, but check your hearts. For when we hurt other people, it's because our heart is messed up. So Jesus goes on to say, he gives us some examples. You've heard it said, don't murder and for those that are murderers are liable to judgment. But then look what he says. But, but I say to you, if you're angry, you're liable to judgment. And if you insult your brother, you're liable. And if you say fool, you are liable. So what Jesus is saying is, he's saying it's much bigger than just your outward actions. So the offense of murder is bad. The offense of murder is bad. That is a horrible fruit that comes from a place of sin. For, for murder is the removing of life. When you take life, it's murder. But Jesus says there are also other ways that we remove life that are still subject to judgment. Now, it's obvious when you get to the point of a murder that that's bad. But Jesus says it's also not so obvious. Sometimes this taking a life is not as obvious as someone that goes out and premeditatively kills someone in anger or in rage. He says there's also the way that we take life that is not so obvious. And then Jesus goes on to say, okay, so that's bad. That's a really bad fruit. But he says, let me show you the root of that fruit. Remember we talked about that before? When we're going before God and we realize that we've sinned and we continue to mess up, we need to spend time identifying the root. Because we can live our lives just confessing all of the fruit all the time, but it's not going to get to the point of where that changes until we confess the root and we ask God to kill that. The same goes is true when we talk about our relationship with other people. And Jesus gets to it here. He says, so the fruit of sin is murder. But he says, the, the root of that murder is anger. He says, the source of that is anger. 
You see, anger in itself is not initially a sin. It's an emotion that comes as a response to a situation. So something happens to you, you're immediately angry, not so much a sin. But when you begin to allow that anger to take root in your life and you begin to, to give it, you feed it with fuel, you feed it with anger, you feed it with hate, you feed it with all the other stuff, that anger is going to begin to take root and it's going to live in your life and it's going to flesh itself out or it's going to give birth to this fruit. And the sinful anger shows itself when we begin to do things that take away a person's identity or value. Write that down. When we begin to take away someone's identity or their value, that's what Jesus is getting to at this point. When you're angry and you allow that anger to cause you to do certain things that looks at taking away someone's value or their identity, that's when we come into the place of where we are liable to judgment. You see, in murder... It is the ultimate of this. In murder, you're taking away, you're, you're, you're looking at a person, you're looking at a person that has been made in the image of God. Someone that by God's hand, he fashioned and he formed, and they are made in the image of God. So we as human beings, we bear some of the image of God. Not the exact representation of God, but we are made in the image of God so that we, we bear some of him. And so we are like God, in a sense. And so murder takes away that, that identity. But also because we have been made by the hands of God, we have value to God. And when you take that away, you're devaluing the life that God has given. And because of that, there is liability and there's judgment. So one of the fruits, the worst fruit, is murder. But Jesus says, because you're angry, and sometimes it fleshes itself out in murder, but sometimes your anger fleshes itself out in two other ways. Two other ways that we kill the image of God, or we take away the life that God has given. He gives them here. He says, one is through insults. That's a fruit. The word here is, is raka, which means to totally insult someone, to go after the heart of who they are. Some would say that it means something like saying that someone is empty-headed, or that their head is full of rocks. You see, insulting someone in the Jewish culture was highly offensive. And when we insult someone, that is the quickest way to strip away a person's identity. When you insult them, you're stripping away their identity. So Jesus says, you murder, that's bad. But you insult someone? You strip away their identity with your words? That's also taking their life. But he goes on, he says, not, not only that, but even if you go to the, you resort to the, 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 the fact of name calling, you see, he says, you fool. When you say you fool, when you call someone a name, that's an attack on the person's value. So you attack their identity through insults, or you can attack their value through name calling. When we treat them as though they're an idiot. You see, the things that we do are evil. Calling names, insulting, killing. Those are all fruits of anger. And Jesus says, those are all liable. You make yourself liable to judgment. See, when we hurt others, if, you, if you're a believer, this is how it works out. 
You may say, man, I don't even know how, I fig- how I've done all this. Well, the way God works is that if you're a believer, God makes you aware of your sin. He allows you to know when things are not right. And he does it in two ways. The two major ways that he does it is sometimes he does it through other people. So if, some, if your brother comes to you and says, you have offended me, that's a great indication of when your ears need to perk up. If someone has the courage and the braveness to come to you and say, you have offended me, instead of immediately saying, when you hear those words, shut off and try to go to deflection, defending mode, instead your ears should be open to say, okay, speak into my heart so that I may know how I've offended you. Open our ears so that we can hear. If someone is is brave enough to come and say that you've offended me, then we're able to embrace it, hear it, and then walk through the process of reconciliation repentance, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But that's one way the Lord allows us to know that we've offended other people. The second way the Lord allows us to know that we've offended other people is he's given us the Holy Spirit. Like if you're walking with the Lord and you seek to desire to follow God and you're in, in his word, you're spending time with him, God is going to bring about, the spirit is going to show you areas that you've offended other people. The person that you've offended may not even know that you've offended them, but the spirit will make you aware of your sin. And once we know that we have offended, we must do the hard work of trying to identify the sin. We need to come to the place where we look for what needs to be forgiven. And so many times, we, even when in our relations with other people, we go and we confess the fruits of our sin. We just, if we even get to the point of confessing, if we get to the point of trying to ask for forgiveness, we will just stick to the fruit. And we never get to the root. And that's why you see, even in marriages, there are times in which you can go to the, the husband or wife and, and the, the, the wife says, well, why didn't you pay the bills? Well, I, I meant to. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the next week, the next month comes along and the wife comes back again to the husband and says, why didn't, why didn't you pay the bills? I'm sorry. I didn't pay the bills. I'm sorry that, that I didn't do this. And so you can see that happening over and over and over again. Well, if that continues to happen, the husband who is walking with the Lord should spend time saying, what is at the root of this sin? Why do I keep doing the same thing? Instead of just continuing in this life of dealing with the fruit, get to the point of the root. Saying, what is at the cause of this? Why do I continue to offend my wife in this way? Maybe it's lack of trust. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a desire to, or, or there's a, a place where you're not trusting the Lord with your finances. Or maybe you're sinning with your finances and you're like, ah, I don't care. Or maybe you just don't care. Maybe, maybe the sin is apathy. Maybe the, the, the sins can be a myriad of things. But you spend time and you get to the root of the sin. And then you confess that. So don't just apologize for the fruit, but find out the root. In this example, this is how it would go. If someone um, has called someone a fool... The person goes and they they go to the person that they've offended and they say, I'm sorry that I called you a fool. Please forgive me for being angry. Don't just, I'm sorry I called you a fool and stop there. I'm sorry I called you a fool, which is the fruit. But forgive me for the root, which is anger. Do you see that? Get to that point. Let's work hard to get to that point. For that's when true reconciliation can begin. So Jesus says that. He says, define it, identify it. 
But then he says, he moves on from there, and he's going to give us the importance of seeking to reconcile our offense. There's, there's importance. We can't just sweep it under the rug. It is important to be reconciled. Look at me in verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So Jesus here is saying it's very important for you to deal with your sin and your offense, to be reconciled for your offense. It's important. Asking forgiveness and seeking reconciliation is so important because it impacts both our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships. If you're in a place where you're like, ah, I, it's just me and God. All I got to worry about is me and God, me and God, me and God. Jesus even says here, if you're coming into a place where you're trying to enter into a place where you can continue to cultivate that relationship with God, that vertical relationship. He says, if you're coming in here and trying to do this and your horizontal relationships aren't right, he says, you can't, don't even proceed here. Don't even try to do this. Instead, forget that. Go and be reconciled. Then come back. And then this will be restored too. Because if these, this isn't working, this isn't going to work. So, so very important. You know, we think to ourselves, God has made us to worship, right? He says, I have made you to worship. You are supposed to worship the God of the universe. So you'd think that this is so very important, which it is. But Jesus says, you can't even do this unless you do this. So when you come into the worship service and you've got stuff going on, you're trying to worship the Lord, it's all lip service. Instead, he says, go and be reconciled. And so we see here the, the, the weight of reconciliation begins and should be initiated by the offender. Because it says you, if your brother has something against you. So that means your brother... You've offended your brother in some way. He says, so you go and be reconciled. You see, reconciliation is the process of mending something that was broken. That's what it is. Reconciliation is mending something that was broken. Something that has hurt, something that has been torn, something that has been broken down because of sin. Reconciliation is seeking to bring mending to that or bringing that back so that it is whole again. So the offender is supposed to seek out reconciliation. Go and be reconciled. Now, this involves a lot of things. And to go and being reconciled, it, it includes an attitude. So there's, there's a heart position uh, of humbleness. You can't just go with, with a proudness and say, I'm coming to be reconciled. No, you must come in a place of humbleness. And in humility, you come to, so you move from humility, and then you move on to confess what you have done. You confess your offense. Then you repent of what you've done, which means you begin in a new direction. You change your mind. You say, I've been doing this to you, and I no longer desire to do this, so my mind is changed towards that. I realize that what I've done to you is offensive, and it has hurt you, and I desire not to do it anymore. Then you ask for forgiveness. You say, will you forgive me? I'm sorry for what I've done. Will you forgive me? Can we move on? Can you take what I've done to you and wipe it clean? Can you act as though it never happened? Can, or can you restore me to the point as though it never happened? Don't act like it never happened. But restore me to the point as though it never happened. So you go to that place. And then lastly, you wait. You wait. Just because that person, you've done everything you can, that person might not yet be ready to hear what you have to say. Their heart might not be where it needs to be with the Lord. 
And so you wait. Don't push them. Come to the place where you do your part so far as it depends on you. And then you let the Lord work on the other person. And you continually show, walk in your new way. Continue to follow the Lord. Continue to love. Continue to pursue. Continue to care for those whom you've offended. Ask for forgiveness. Wait. Then you can move on. See, there was a time in my life where I realized I needed to ask for forgiveness. And, And this is a kind of a, a low-level example, but it's a real example of where the Lord worked this out in my own life. There was a time in a few churches ago that I was, I was working on a committee, and I was, a, I was a staff person working on a committee, and there was a, a person on the committee that continued to come to the committee, and I continually would question his motives. I thought his heart was wrong. I thought his desires were wrong. And every time, like, it, it felt as though after from my prayer with the Lord and my time with the Lord, I felt the Lord leading us in this direction. But this person would come, and they continually thought that, no, the Lord may be leading us in this separate direction. I'm like, well, how can that be? One of us is right, and one of us is wrong, right? So I believed, because I'd spent time with the Lord, that I was right and that he was wrong. And so what happened over time is I worked with this, this person. Anger began to grow in my heart towards this person. I began to, to belittle this person in my mind and begin to belittle everything that they said. Not verbally, but in my heart. I always tried to be respectful on the outside, but in the inside, I was angry. In the, in, in the inside, I continually disagreed. In the inside, I continually to question their motives, and I became angry. And you know what happened over time? As this continued to grow in me, it impacted me at worship. When this person would stand before our church and I was sitting in the, in, the, in the congregation, this person would come up and they'd begin to pray. You know what it'd do in my heart? I couldn't pray. I couldn't approach the throne of God. Instead, I was thinking to myself, that person is a fool. That person is a liar. Why does, what gives that person the right now to pray before this congregation? And so my mind and my heart were immediately moved away from where the Lord wanted it to be. And just in an instant. So I'll never forget the day. Sarah can attest to this. I'll never forget the day I was in my office praying. And the Lord, through his word, says, you have got to go and ask for forgiveness. You have anger. You have resentment towards this guy. And it is impacting your worship to me. You are in prison to this guy. And I said, so I called Sarah up immediately. I'm like, hey, baby, I'm going to check this. This is, what, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. Like, should I do it? And she's like, yeah, go immediately. Like, go right now. And so I ran over to this person where they worked. And I said, I'm sorry to barge in, but I just need to say something to you. I sat down in their office and I said, I've been angry. I've resented you in my mind. I haven't said it. I, and I, I said this. I haven't said anything verbally to anyone else. But this is just between you and me and the Lord. I have... I've killed your character in my mind and heart. I said, would you please forgive me? And the person looked over at me and they said, yeah, sure. <laughs> like I was, I was like in, in this torturous place for months and this person's just like, yeah, sure, cool, it happens. Right, I forgive you. Hug, move on. I'm like, man, why, geez, why, why can it always be this easy? And sometimes it can be. But the person that is holding on is much, much in, in a darker place, a more of a, a, a place of, of um, needing to be rescued than the person that is offended sometimes. Now, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we've offended so much and hurt so much that it's going to take the person time. 
to do. And the person time to heal. But I love this because Jesus says, go and be reconciled. But Jesus, Jesus himself, who is the ultimate example of a reconciler, tells us to go and be reconciled. Like Jesus, the ultimate example of being a reconciler. And here's how crazy it is. Jesus seeks to be reconciliation, seeks, seeks out re- reconciliation, even though he was not the offender. Right? Jesus never did anything wrong, but Jesus came a great distance and he humbled himself and he paid for our sins and rose from the grave. So he comes all this way. We've offended him. We've said, God, I don't love you. God, I don't know you. I don't want to know you. I want to go my own way. And God says, no. So Jesus comes. He humbles himself. He gives up his heavenly realms. He gives up his his heavenly 24-7 worship. And he comes and he humbles himself by taking on humanity. And then he lives this perfect life. And he says, I'm doing this because I love you. I want, to, I want you to know me. And then he goes to the cross and dies on the cross in our place. He says, this is how much I love you. I want to give my life to you. I surrender it all so that you can know me and you can know the Father. That is reconciliation. And because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we should be willing to go to those lengths as well. Come to the place of where we surrender it all. And we say, God, I know I'm a a sinful person. And I have hurt and I continue to offend. And God, please, humble me. Let me go and be reconciled. So it's very important that we seek reconciliation. But lastly, I want us to see that there's an immediacy to our need to seek reconciliation. Look at me in verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You see, when we have harmed someone, when we have hurt a brother or a sister in Christ or even an accuser, someone that's even outside the church, we are to seek reconciliation quickly. It says, as, even as you are going to court, even as you're going to be brought up on the charges of what you've done, seek to be reconciled. Do not put off the, the, the <clears throat> do not put it off because the consequences can be devastating. Don't put off being, seeking reconciliation. Because Jesus says the results of that, but putting it off, can be truly devastating. You'll be judged, and you'll be put into prison, and you won't be able to move. You'll be in a place where you'll be stuck. Can't move forward with the Lord. Can't move back with the Lord. You're just stuck. See, again, when we realize that we've messed up, there'll be a temptation to downplay our, our sin, our need to be reconciled. We'll say things like, ah, it was long ago. Too much time has passed. I don't need to go back and be reconciled. That person probably doesn't even remember what I did. Or if I even bring it up, then I'm just going to rekindle new hurts and then I don't want to bring them through that all over again. So I'm just not going to do it. But Jesus says here, once you realize that you messed up, immediately go as quick as you can. Run to the person that you've offended and fall before them and say, I'm sorry, I've messed up. See, there was a time in college that there was this assignment that was due and I didn't quite get around to getting it done. 
And my professor actually came up to me one day in class and said, Jeff, you know, I don't have this assignment yet. Uh, have you done it? Have you turned it in? And immediately in my mind, I'm like, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So what am I going to do? I said, well, I turned it in, and you gave it back to me, but you must not have recorded the, recorded the grade, right? Classic, right? Professors do that all the time, right? There's grade in so many papers, they're going to forget. So I'm like, you already gave it back to me. And he's like, well, can you bring me the paper? And let me see it, and then I'll, I'll put it down. I'm, he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've offended you. I'm sorry that I, I didn't take care of your paper. I'm like, yeah, you're darn right. You're sorry to take care of my paper. So I run back to my room, and uh, my, my neighbor uh, upstairs, uh, she had completed the paper. And so I'm like, hey, can I see your paper? Because I'm like, well, maybe I can just type another one real fast and do this. Well, anyways, I looked at her paper and looked at my paper that hadn't been done yet. And so what I did was um, I looked at her paper, and I said, well, her grade and everything's on the last page. So what if I just change the cover page with my, her title and all that other stuff? He won't remember. And so I'm just going to put my name on it. And the, it, the cool thing was the paper even had a crease in it. So I matched up the crease on my cover page with my name and her grade at the bottom. And I handed it back to my professor. My professor looked at it and he goes, all right, there you go. 98%. I'm like, score. I did it. Like, now I'm scot-free. I've done this. I've, I've lied. I've cheated. I'm good to go. I'm going to get an A in this class. This is great. Slowly over time, God began to work on me, like he always does. A semester passes, another semester passes, and I'm still just becoming more and more unsettled with my sin. And then I happen to go to a Christmas conference where John Piper is the pastor, and he's preaching, and he preaches about the, the unconfessed sin in our life and how it can destroy us. And he, he goes through and talks about the sin of Achan. You guys remember the story where, where Achan sinned, where God says, well, as you go in and you take over these people, don't take any of their, their things. Don't, don't take any of their stuff. Just, just leave it there. And Achan goes and he says, well, no one's going to notice this candlestick. No one's going to notice this, this cloth, or no one's going to notice this. And so Achan goes in, and he takes some stuff and hides it under his tent, and he buries it there. And then God's people go out to war against a, a much lesser people, people that they should have totally slaughtered, and guess what? They get slaughtered. And so then God says, um, God says, Joshua, there's, the reason that you guys lost is because someone in your camp has sinned. Go and find that out, and let's deal with it. And I remember as he's talking about this and the process through which we go and, and bring back up sins from the past, how we need to deal with it, I was being convicted heavily. Like I was in a place of unpeace, unrest, for the rest of the conference, I was like, God, this is my sin. This is my sin. And so I said, I'm going to go back and be reconciled. So what I did, as soon as I got back to, to campus, I got that, that work out. I pulled out that sheet two semesters ago, and I typed the paper to the best of my ability. And then I went back to the professor, and I, had it, I went to him as media as I could. I sat down at his office, and I said, I said, Professor, I said, I'm sorry. I lied to you two semesters ago. And I said, here's the real work. Now, I understand if you need to go back and if you need to, to fail me for the course, I understand that because I violated the code of conduct. I understand that, and I'm fully ready to take the responsibility for my actions. And so I gave him my paper, and I said, here's what I should have done. And he looked it over, and he says, this is good work. This is good work. And he said, well, I forgive you. And so uh, there weren't any repercussions, but I was fully prepared for the repercussions of not handing in that paper. But see, the reality is we've got to deal with our sin. We cannot wait to be reconciled. We must go and seek to be reconciled as soon as possible because if we allow sin to stay, it will further decay and destroy not only our relationship with God, but our relationships with others. So we've come a long way in this sermon series. 
We've looked at making sure that our relationship with God is right, and now we've talked about our relationship with others. And I wanted to end our time today by giving us some time just to reflect the quietness of our hearts. We'll have music playing and song will be sung. But I want to give you an opportunity just to, if you haven't done it already, spend some time between you and the Lord. Ask, ask yourself this, this, this question. God, am I right with you? Have I come to the place of where I have in faith trusted in your work and come to confess and repent of my sin? Have I come to the place where I'm no longer living in control of my life or have I given you control? If you've done that, man, that's good. If you're not, if you're at this place where you haven't done that yet, this is a time for you just between you and the Lord. Say, God, ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe in Jesus and I want to live my life for him. You can do that. And then come take me by the hand sometime later and say, say Pastor Jeff, I, I did that today. I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here today and you just need a few moments between you and God just to either extend forgiveness to someone or maybe you just need God to continue to work on you to give you the courage to go and be reconciled to someone else. Allow this time just for God to speak so that we can act and we can continue to be used as God's vessels of reconciliation. Because how can we we preach it? How can we speak it? How can we share it? if we haven't personally experienced it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care so much for us and that your desire is that we be in right relationship with you and with others. Father, we also thank you that you've given us your word as as a guideway, as as a path back to reconciliation and forgiveness. So, Father, in these moments, Father, I pray that you just continue to work and speak and allow us to be obedient. Help us to to lay down our pride. Help us to lay down our guards. Help us to lay down whatever it is that is keeping us from being in right relationship with you, right relationship with others. And help us to be people that act on your word, not just hearers only. So be with us, God, in this time. In Jesus' name.